Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and you are listening to Keeping the Faith. On this podcast, you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. Keeping the Faith is brought to you without ads or commercial interruption of any kind, except for this one invitation. I have friends who are inspired by what they hear from Keeping the Faith, and those friends support my work. But you can support this podcast as well by buying me a coffee. Buy Me a Coffee is a tiny little link where you can throw a few bucks into my tip jar and keep me busy behind the counter serving up the best episodes I have to offer. Simply go to buymeacoffee.com slash McBrayer, and you can easily and securely donate to the cause. You can also go to my website, RonnieMcBrayer.org, and click on Podcast. You will find several ways to lend a hand, and you can also choose your favorite listening platform, be it Apple, Podbean, or Spotify, so that you will never miss a single life-changing, day-making, death-defying episode. Thank you for being a regular listener. Corrie ten Boom was 48 years old when the Nazis invaded the Netherlands early in World War II. She was a watchmaker, like her father, but also a devout and compassionate Christian. She, her family, her entire family for that matter, began hiding Jews in their home and in their watch shop, protecting them from being deported for execution. She had no ambition to convert the Jews to her faith. She only wanted to care for them, to keep them from danger and from persecution, and so she did. She and her family built a secret chamber within their home that they called the hiding place. And that would become the name of her memoir decades later, a book that I first read when I was 10 years old, and a place where nearly a thousand Jews were saved from extermination over the course of World War II. Remarkable, really. The secret chamber was in Corey's bedroom behind a false wall, and it could hold up to six people at a time. It had a ventilation system. Food could be slipped in. A buzzer would warn occupants to get into that room as quickly as possible during security sweeps. And this worked well for most of the war until a neighbor betrayed the tin booms. The entire family was arrested, sent to concentration camps across, across Eastern Europe. Over the course of the next year, all of the ten booms would die in captivity or be executed, except for Corey. A clerical error saved her from the gas chamber. And she emerged, the only survivor of her family, from Ravensbrück concentration camp in 1945, shattered but very much alive. Corey ten boom would live into her 90s. Traveling the world with a message of grace, forgiveness, reconciliation. 
She took in concentration camp survivors. She spoke at churches all over the world telling her story. She was an untiring advocate for peace, for the way of Jesus. She was granted namesake at Yad Vashem, the international memorial to the Holocaust in Jerusalem, named among the righteous of the nations, an honor that was, is bestowed on non-Jews who risked their lives during the Holocaust to save Jews from extermination. And in the late, in the late 1970s, just before she was rendered speechless by a series of strokes, she met a young preacher named Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll has been a voice on Christian radio for more than 40 years. And if you have never seen his face, you have likely heard his voice. He might be the greatest evangelical preacher since Billy Graham, reaching millions with his own message of grace and love. I guess I have listened to a thousand of his sermons over the years and read a score of his books. He is now in his mid-80s. He continues pastoring and preaching from Frisco, Texas after years and decades in Fullerton, California. Find any picture of him on the internet, and here's a recent picture of him. And he is always looking just like that, grinning ear to ear, always smiling. Few people are as constantly joyful as he is. Just makes you want to slap people like that sometimes, I think, but not him. When Corey met him, he wasn't an internationally known radio preacher and best-selling author. He was well on his way. But he was in his mid-40s, almost 50, handsome, clever, ambitious, incredibly articulate, one of the finest communicators in any field that you will ever meet. Corey, shaped by her suffering, saw all of this, the talent, the potential, but also the dangers, the threat of ego, the runaway train of striving and scrambling for more. And Corey was in the audience one Sunday after Chuck finished his sermon, and they met together briefly after the service, and Swindoll speaks of being dumbstruck in her presence. She was a living Protestant saint, and we Protestants don't have many of those. And as he reached out to take her hand, she took both of his hands into hers. And she said, Pastor Swindoll, you must learn to hold everything loosely, she said. And then she turned his hands over, palms upward. And with all the love and wisdom of her decades, she looked at Chuck Swindoll and said this, Keep your hands open like this. It will make it much easier when you have to let some things go. If Corey Ten Boom says that to you, you remember it. And for his part, Chuck Swindoll says it was one of the most important things that he has ever heard. It kept him humble, kept him grounded, kept him focused. To this very moment. Keep your hands open. Like this. It will make it much easier. When you have to let some things go. Those words spoken by that person. With her experiences. Captures all that I've been trying to communicate over these last several weeks. 
This series began with a quote by Rumi. There is a necessary dying. And then Jesus breathes again. Very little grows on jagged rocks. So be ground. Be crumbled. So wildflowers will come up where you are. Because you have been stony for too many years. Try something different. Surrender. And then Meister Eckhart, the German monk and pastor from the Middle Ages, there is only one spiritual discipline, Gelassenheit, translated into English, surrender. And Jesus, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. You're not in the driver's seat. You must surrender. Surrender is the something different. Surrender is the one spiritual discipline. Surrender is the giving up of your own way. The daily cross to carry. Surrender is letting go. Loosening your grip. It is the resignation of your place as would-be controller and manager of your life. Surrender is handing over the keys. Releasing the steering wheel. Climbing down from the captain's chair. Over these weeks, we have seen how pain and suffering are usually the pathway to surrender because pain and suffering are the only things that really seem to reach us and to change us sometimes. Those hurtful things that we cannot change, that we cannot mitigate, they change us as they fall like a hammer on the anvil of our pride and our ego our rights, our control, our certainty, letting go of those things to which we are so attached and so enamored with. Let go or be dragged. Do you remember that little phrase from a couple weeks ago? And now we come to these last two elements of surrender, this week and next, though I think I could keep going with this for the rest of my life. Because there's always something to let go of. Have have you noticed that, just as an aside, have you noticed that about the stages of your life that when you're young, you, you might say to yourself, oh, if, if I was just married, then, you know, then life would be better and I could be happy. And then you get married. And I didn't mean it that way. Like, oh, then you get married. <laughs> you get married and then you're like, oh, if only I had kids. Then life would be complete. Oh, if only my kids would sleep through the night. Oh, if only my kids would quit bugging me. If only my kids could take their own bath and wipe their own backside. If only my kids were old enough to be driving. If only my kids were finally in college. If only my kids would call. If only my kids would come see me. You see how there's always, no matter what stage of life you're in, there's going to be something to let go of. There's never this place we arrive, as Paul said in the text, where, whoo, I made it. Life is a coast from here on out. doesn't exist. It simply does not exist. So, I could keep going, I think, for, for the rest of my life. But I want to focus on just a couple more things that Paul brings up here in Philippians 3. Two subjects, single passage, yesterday and tomorrow. The past and the future. 
More than 30 years ago now, speaking of the past, I preached my first sermon. Young and dumb and ambitious, I took to the pulpit of the Sonorable Baptist Church and I yammered on for 11 minutes. I needed to have spoken three times that long because the church service was broadcast live on the radio back in the day and you couldn't quit too soon or you'd have all this dead space. Well, there was dead space that day. And those poor folks who were listening at home and poor still the suckers trapped in the pews because they came to hear the pastor that day and it's me. And they were poor still because they couldn't turn off the power or change the knob. They were stuck. I don't remember anything uh, that I said that day, so I certainly don't expect anybody that was there to remember it. But I do remember that the talk was from this text. My first sermon ever preached was from this paragraph you've heard today. It was about pressing on toward the goal. You got to keep going. And you don't have to be perfect as you go, but you got to go. You must keep going in the direction that we are now headed, Paul says. And I repeated those words as a 20-year-old upstart. And it's not a bad selection for a first sermon, by the way. But if I had known then all that would unfold over the next three decades of my life, I believe I would have walked off the radio show and found my way to Georgia Highway 53 just outside the church doors and just wandered into traffic. Thank God, thank God that we only live one day at a time. And thank Jesus, Lord Jesus, that he reminded us that each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't go borrowing from some other day. Because if we knew when we were 20 or 30 or 40, everything that was going to happen to us over the next year, two years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, we would probably all be suicidal. I don't want to know what's coming, thank you very much. Because what I've experienced so far has frankly been enough. Hasn't it been for you? Because life is like that. It is hard. It is unpredictable. It is, it's painful. It's uphill the whole way. And we gather to ourselves a few scars, don't we? We hold a few grudges, don't we? We nurse our fair share of wounds. Suffer our own abuses and injustices. We live for years, maybe. With anger and resentment because of what someone did to us or didn't do for us. There are broken promises. Broken hearts. Broken relationships. There are things that you, you just don't get over. I just hate when somebody says that to somebody. Don't you? They've had some awful thing that has happened to them. And somebody in frustration, maybe because they're tired of hearing about it, says, well, you're just going to have to get over it. Thank you, that never crossed my mind to just get over it. But there are some things you don't get over. You just don't. 
If you've been traumatized, if you've been betrayed, if you've been assaulted, if you've been abused, if your plans or your dreams have been taken away from you, if you've buried a child, if you've buried a spouse or a soulmate, you don't just get over it. Such things have to be integrated. They have to be taken in as a part of who you are. They have to be lived through, ever how long that takes, and they have to be surrendered Let go or be dragged. Keep your hands open like this. It will make it much easier when you have to let some things go. As Paul puts it here, I forget what is behind. Forget can be a synonym for surrender. He might say, I let it go. I put it in the past. Forget, though, that's that's a real problem. We can't forget. We can't get over it. We can't let it go. We can't surrender. We can't be free from our memories. And it's worse for some people than it is for others. There's a small group of people in this world who have what is called superior autobiographical memory. I am not one of those people. They can remember almost everything about their lives. And when I say almost everything, I mean almost everything. Louise Owens, for example, she is now in her mid-40s. And she can recall every single day of her life since she was 11 years old. Ask her, what did you have to eat October 1st? 2011, and she'll tell you. What did you wear to school on the first day of your eighth grade year? And she can tell you. It's a small group of people, but there are actually people like that. The meals they ate, what the weather was like on a particular day, they can remember it all. And I hope if we study these people's brains, We'll figure out something to do for Alzheimer's or dementia or just senility. But I do not envy those people. The few days that I can recall are usually painful enough. Thank you very much. I don't need to remember more of it. I don't need a superior autobiographical memory. And this is why we need a synonym for forget. This is why surrender is a better choice of words. Because you are not going to be able to forget some of the things that lodge like splinters in your brain. Maybe one day I'll forget it. No, probably not. Time does not heal all wounds. Get over it is much easier said than done. And it seems that no amount of counseling, therapy, preaching, or medication, nothing short of maybe a lobotomy, can erase the pain from our memory banks. So we need a different word. Maybe we need a synonym for the synonym. Forget becomes surrender. And surrender, when it comes to dealing with the past, becomes forgive. Our English word forgiveness comes from a very old Dutch-German word. And it doesn't mean to forget. It means to give up. 
Specifically, it means to give up punishment. So when we're talking about forgiveness, talking about the past, what is given up and what is surrendered is the need to punish someone. Those feelings of retaliation. The desire to even the score. Forgiveness doesn't mean what happened to you is now and suddenly okay. It means you are giving up your power to make it okay. Forgiveness doesn't mean that justice should not be sought. It means that achieving justice in your own hands is out of your power. Forgiveness doesn't mean that the past will never hurt you again. It means you have decided to stop hurting others or yourself for what has happened to you. And maybe what you've done to yourself. Because sometimes the person in your past who needs the most forgiveness is you. This is achieved not by time, but by grace. Because you cannot do this on your own. Let's go straight to our source. When Jesus is nailed to the cross. He is nailed there as an innocent man. He didn't earn that spot. He was wrongly condemned. Accused essentially of treason. Executed in a sham trial. And what is the very first thing that he prays? Father, forgive them. And boy, then then he told the truth. They don't know what they're doing. (laughs) I think in most of the blunders in our life, That last phrase kind of covers it sometimes, don't it? I just had no idea what I was doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Who is he praying for? He's praying for those soldiers. Because they are dutifully carrying out their orders. They just showed up to work like any other Friday. He's praying for the religious and the civil leaders. Who because of politics made the decisions they made to get rid of him. He's praying for the onlookers and the ignorant crowd that have no concept of who he is or what is going on that day. He's praying for all of us. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is huge right here. He does not say, I forgive you. Because let me tell you, there'll be some things that happen in your life where you can't say, it will be impossible for you to say, I forgive you. That's a stone too heavy to pick up. And what will have to be said instead is, Oh Lord, God, Father, forgive them because I can't, I can't do it. That's not time. That's Grace. The way we surrender and deal with our past is to realize that we're not going to improve our past. The only way to make peace with it is for God to do something with it. And that's a power outside of ourselves, and that is grace. 
Quickly, back to Corey Ten Boom. I've told this story before. I, f- I first heard it in Sunday school, and I suppose I'll tell it until I'm dead. After she and her family were betrayed and arrested by the Nazis, Corey and her sister Betsy, who was also her, her best friend, were sent to Ravensbrück, as I said. And again, she was the only survivor. Betsy died there at Ravensbrück just days before the camp was liberated. And years later, Corey was traveling all over Europe and sharing her story and speaking of God's love and God's forgiveness as she would say, quote, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. God will give us the love to be able to forgive. Easy to say. Ooh, hard to do. Here are her own words. I was in a church in Munich when I saw him. Balding, heavy set, in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. He came up to me cautiously and said, I was a guard at Ravensbrook. He did not remember me. But I remembered him. Since that time I have become a Christian, he said. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. And then his hand came out. Fraulein, will you forgive me? Quoting again. I stood there. And I could not. My sister had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death just by asking? It seemed like hours were passing as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I have ever had to do. The coldness clutching my heart. And I prayed silently, Lord Jesus, help me. Then, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand forward into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. This healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing me to tears. I was able to say, I forgive you. And I have never known God's love so intensely. Now, honest confession, I don't think I could do that. Could you? But I hope, I pray, that I would allow Christ to do that for me. And I hope that for all of us, with garden variety offenses in our past, Nothing like what Corey Ten Boom suffered. That we will, by God's grace, let God's grace do the work for us. Now, will we forgive quickly and easily? That's not likely. Our resistance is very strong. It might take you weeks. It might take you months. Hell, it might take you years. 
But it's not time that you need. It's grace. It is grace that heals when we let go and surrender and allow the power of God to do it for us. Keep your hands open like this. It will make it easier when you have to let some things go. You have been listening to Keeping the Faith, the podcast home of yours truly, Ronnie McBrayer. You can follow me on Facebook or Twitter, whatever your socialization preference may be. At Ronnie McBrayer will get you there in either case. Visit my website at ronniemcbrayer.org, and there you can stay up to date. On my speaking schedule, books I have written, projects just over the widening horizon, and yes, you can find out more about me than anyone truly wishes to know. Thanks to Shutterstock Incorporated, located in New York City's Empire State Building, no less, for producing and licensing my theme music. Bobby Rains provides recording and technical expertise. Tim Riles created the Keeping the Faith logo and artwork. And Land Sunshine on My Shoulder Crow is credited with any and all photography. And as always, Toby and Mo, the two small wonder dogs that run my home, assisted with all editing. I'm Ronnie McBrayer. This has been Keeping the Faith, and I thank you for listening.